Jesus changed my life. Man, he did. Man, he changed everything. Gave me peace in the midst of craziness, even as a young boy, especially now that I understand the world more and I hear it more. And we got 24-7 news, all the craziness, all the division outside the church, inside the church, all that stuff. But having a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, changes everything. Gives me a peace. You know, it gives me purpose. I know why I was born. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, it took away my fear of death. I know exactly where I'm going. So, I mean, uh, he's changed everything. And, and so I'm excited and, and grateful for Jesus Christ. Now, we started our journey on the first Sunday in December. We're studying through the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. Luke was a doctor, and he wrote this letter. And in the very first chapter, first, fourth verse, he tells us why he wrote this letter. Chapter 1, verse 4, he says, I wrote it so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So Luke, who's a doctor, he wrote this letter to let us know that Christianity and its claims, that our faith is biblically true, it's historically accurate and true, it's verifiable, true, therefore it's trustworthy. And we saw that in chapter 1. And in Christmas Eve day, what, two Sunday, two weeks ago on Sunday morning, we looked at the Christmas story there in chapter 2. And so now we're in the second half of chapter 2, passage of Scripture. You know, we saw how a lot has changed over the 2,000 years, but a lot has not changed. Jesus Christ is still the Son of God. Christmas is all about God coming to earth, God becoming a man. Jesus came to die. He came for our benefit to pay the price for our sins. He rose from the dead because he is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And if we repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in him as the leader of our life, the Lord of our life, the forgiver of our sins, our Savior, the Bible says we're spiritually born again. We're now God's children. We're forgiven. Not perfect, but we're sinners saved by the grace of God. We have a purpose, and heaven is our eternal home. Greatest love story in the universe. So we pick it up, chapter 2 still. We're going to be looking at verse 21 through 51. So we're going to look at all of that. But for time's sake, I'm just going to read 41 through 51 with you. But as we continue on our journey, this is the first Sunday of 2024. So 2024, what are you looking for? In 2024, what are you looking for? I, I look back. I look back last year. I do that, and I'm very thankful to God for last year, for my family, this church family, and, and it wasn't always good. Had heartache and ups and downs and disappointments like life is. I look back and ask God to help me learn from it and grow from it. But I don't want to stay there. Man, I want to look ahead. I want to look ahead. 2024, we're going to look ahead. And I know you're looking ahead. So what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Some of you looking for that spouse, that boyfriend, that girlfriend. Some of you looking for a job, looking for more money. Some of you looking for adventure. Some of you looking for purpose. What are you looking for? And in this passage, we see four different snapshots of what Simeon Anna, Mary, and Joseph, and Jesus we're looking for. And that's what I want to look at. So we're going to look at the whole passage, but we're just going to read starting on verse 41 through 51 because of time. So if you're able, would you please stand with me out of reverence and honor for God's holy word. Jesus, a 12-year-old boy, parents take him to church like they did every year for this, and they took him on a regular basis too. But here's where we begin. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, 
while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. You may be seated. back to that at the end, but I want to start back with verse 21. We left off there on that Christmas Eve day, and we're introduced to Simeon there in verse 21 and, and, uh, and 25, and, and we see about Simeon. Look, it says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Simeon. He was waiting for the consolation. That word consolation implies comfort. He, he, he needed comfort. He was waiting for consol- to be consoled, to be comforted. That's when somebody's comforted after a loss or a disappointment or somebody who's in sorrow. And the nation of Israel was waiting and they were looking for God's comfort, especially that he would come and rescue them. They were now living under the Roman rule. They were living in fear, and they were wondering if the Messiah would ever come to remove their sorrow and to comfort, console the nation. And so here again, we see God moving his way in his time. He prompted Simeon to go to church at just the right time that Mary and Joseph were bringing the baby Jesus to the temple. Jesus is now six weeks old. And when Simeon saw him, he knew that God's promise to him had been kept. He knew that he was looking at Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he knew that this baby came to make everything right, to bring comfort, to bring comfort. And we see him, we see him talking here again. You know, we see him talking verse 29 to 32. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And so Simeon, you know, I mean, Simeon's words here asserts that Jesus is going to be the salvation of the world, not only for Israel, but also to the Gentiles. That's everybody who's not Jewish. So Jesus came for everybody, and he's going to bring glory upon the people of Israel. And then Simeon speaks to Mary. He blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many people will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So here again, Simeon's words to Mary was she asserting that Jesus Christ, he's going to be the salvation of the world. You know, not only to Israel, but the Gentiles. But he said, but he's telling Mary now that some people are going to believe in Jesus. Some people will not. And he's going to face much opposition. 
And even you, Mary, his mother, Jesus' suffering is going to bring you pain personally. And so we see Simeon, he, he stands as a testimony of how we should look and anticipate the arrival of the Messiah. I mean, that's what he was doing. He looked forward to Christ's first coming. We look forward and anticipate Jesus Christ coming again. And part of observing the Lord's Supper is to remember that he is coming again. Jesus Christ is the consolation of Israel. He's a comfort to all who believe in him. And maybe here today, some of you can identify with Simeon. Man, some of you had a rough year, a rough week, and you're hurting. Some of you feel very lonely and empty and afraid. And some of you are going through, man, heartbreak and sorrow. And then the holidays just seem to highlight and magnify heartache and sorrow. Do you need some comfort? Do you need some consoling? Do you need a fresh sense of God's power in your life? If so, you can find what you're looking for in Jesus. Because he came to bring us comfort and peace. So we see Simeon, what he was looking for. Now we see Anna, what she was looking for. Another person waiting and looking with anticipation was Anna. There was a prophetess, also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worship night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So now we see Anna, a picture of true devotion and godliness. She was a widow, been a widow for many, many years. She was a prophetess, well along it says, in years. She was not a priest, she was not a pastor, but God used her in a great way to, to speak his word. And when she spoke, we see what she said in verse 38. She, when she saw the baby, she thanked God, and then she shared the gospel. She, said, uh, she shared the story to all who were looking to the redemption of Jerusalem. She believed that Jesus Christ was who he said he was, that he'd finally come. And now she speaks to others about Jesus Christ. She was like an evangelist. She was looking forward to the same person that Simeon was looking forward to, but she had a different orientation. Instead of looking for comfort and being consoled, she was looking for forgiveness. Verse 8, it says she was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. That word redemption, to be redeemed, is related to the idea of captivity. And they were there observing the feast of the Passover, the Old Testament Passover and the release of God's people, the Israelites, from Egyptian slavery in Anna's day, that stood as the ultimate redemption. That stood, that stood as the, the symbol of God's power to release his people from captivity. And ultimately, the Passover pointed ahead to the day that God would provide the perfect Lamb of God to bring deliverance from the slavery of sin. And so when Anna saw Jesus, she gave thanks to God and spoke of him to everybody who was waiting for that redemption, for forgiveness. Here at last is the one who would save his people from their sins. Now, can you identify with Anna maybe today? Are you living your life full of guilt, maybe in shame and regret because of behavior, because of lifestyle, because of things you haven't done that you should have done? Do you feel trapped 
in a pattern of sin and you just can't seem to break out of it. It's hurting you and it's hurting your loved ones around you and you know it, but you just can't seem to break it. And you're living in constant regret and guilt and can't sleep at night. If so, you, you need forgiveness. And that's why Jesus came to forgive you, to bring comfort and peace to you. Jesus can give you that today. Now let's look at Mary and Joseph, what they were looking for. They were looking for Jesus. That's what they were looking for. And we read this passage. You know, Luke gives us more information about Jesus' birth and infancy than any other gospel writer. In chapter 2, we see Jesus presented in the temple at six weeks old. And then we see him, there's a gap between him being six weeks old to now he's 12 years old in chapter 12. They're in verse 22. I mean, chapter 2. And after that, we have a gap about Jesus' life. Nothing's said about Jesus' life between the age of 12 until 30, which is next chapter, chapter 3, when he's 30, when John the Baptist baptizes him at the age of 30, and he publicly begins his ministry. And then he's crucified on the cross and killed at the age of 33 and a half. So there's not a whole lot we know. There's a lot of gaps in Christ's life. Here in chapter 2, we see Jesus in the temple as a baby. Same chapter. Now we see him as Jesus in the temple as a boy as a 12-year-old boy. And we see that. And it says, every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. You say, how in the world did that happen? Man, I lost my kids many times. I've actually lost my kids here at church. You're over home thinking Nancy had them and she thought I had them. They're still here at church. You know, I've done that, but that, that, it could very easily happen here because it's very common when people travel. They traveled in family groups, lots of people, relatives traveling back for the feast of the Passover back to Jerusalem. And it's very common for the women and children, they walked together and they were separated from the men. The men and the older children, the older boys, the men and the older boys walked together. Jesus was 12. He was like on that cutoff, which means he was young enough if he wanted to, to be with the women and, and the children, but he was also 12. He was now old enough to be with the older men and I mean the men and the older boys. And I'm sure Mary thought he was with Joseph. Joseph thought he was with Mary. And then when they stopped for the night, they realized, uh-oh, we lost Jesus. You know, and that was something to lose Jesus. One thing about Mary and Joseph, though, that I, I want you to see here, they were righteous parents. They obeyed the law of God. And we see that by what they did in verse 21 and 22. They circumcised Jesus on the eighth day, according to the law. They were traveling back to Jerusalem to present him to God. They were responsible parents, even in, in the religious devotion you know for the past 12 years we read his parents took him on this annual pilgrimage to worship during passover so mary and joseph you know were godly parents and godly parents matter you know we obey god as godly parents we're not perfect but we obey god and we set the example in front of our children now does that guarantee that your kids are going to be godly themselves no guarantee, no guarantee. When you think about it, God's the perfect father, God's the perfect parent, and look what a mess we are, his children. You know, so don't go be blaming God on us. You know, God's the perfect parent. You can't blame everything that your kids do on you either, but we're to set the example, we're to do what is right, to obey God and set a godly example. It's our responsibility as parents. 
And I always tell parents, man, do everything you can spiritually to put all the odds in your favor. You know it? None of us are going to have perfect children. Don't expect them to be Jesus. And children, none of you are going to have, none of you have perfect parents. Don't expect them to be Jesus either. But as a Christian parent, as a Christian child, a Christian student, we are expected to follow Jesus and his example. But we see Mary and Joseph, they, they, they're looking for Jesus. I'm going to come back to this in a moment. And then we see Jesus, what is he doing? He's looking to do his father's business. Jesus is looking to do his father's business. After three days, they found him in a temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. Everyone who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. Everybody who heard him was amazed. Even his own parents were astonished. That means to be struck with amazement. This 12-year-old sitting among the religious leaders of his day. But then Mary jumps into mother mode. Son, why have you treated us like this? She says in verse 48. And the next verse is highly significant because it's the first recorded words of Jesus, from Jesus. And he says, why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? A lot of interesting things here. I think we see here at the age of 12, Jesus Christ knew that he was different, that he was somehow, he knew he was the son of God. I think somehow even at the age of 12, we don't know exactly when he realized all that or how much he realized, but he knew that he was the son of God, that he was about his father's business. Catch the contrast between verse 48, where Mary says about Joseph, hey, your father and I, man, we've been searching for you. That's verse 48. Your father and I, we've been searching for you. Look at verse 49. He says, well, I had to be about my father's business. And so we see that contrast. Joseph was Jesus' adopted father. Mary was Jesus' birth mother. But Jesus' first loyalty went to be with his heavenly father. And so we see Jesus' priorities here. Even at the age of 12, he was to be about his father's business, put God first. He knew that. He was looking to be about his father's business. But we also see him being just a, a great godly 12-year-old too. I mean, we see here Jesus' submission. He submitted first to God, then to his parents. In verse 51, it says, Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And then we see how Jesus grew. It says he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Perfectly balanced growth in four areas, mentally, he grew in wisdom mentally. Uh, you know, I'm talking about human wisdom. I mean, that's all weird. You know, he's God, 100% God, 100% man. He's reading and studying the scriptures and sitting down with the religious leaders of the day, asking questions, learning. And we want you to learn the scriptures. We want you to study the scriptures. That's why we have connect groups here on Sunday morning, AKA Sunday school, Bible, small group, Bible study groups. We're calling them connect groups now because we want you to get connected to God's word and connected to God's people so you can grow in God's wisdom. He grew in stature. That means physically he grew in size and age. He grew strong and mature. He grew spiritually. It says in favor with God. 
Now, he was the son of God, so he was already in perfect favor with God. I think what that means is every, I think what it means to us is that every act of obedience, every act of sacrifice from Jesus, of love from Jesus, further just confirmed God's favor and obedience and grace was on him. But we're to grow in favor with God. We, we need to grow to become more like Jesus. That's where our D groups, discipleship groups come in, and we're, we're starting our discipleship groups. And please look at this. You heard it in announcements. Here's his insert. This coming Wednesday night, we got information, an introduction to our discipleship groups. So I want to encourage you to come when you, if you can, learn more about it. Get in a small group where you study the Bible, hold each other accountable. Uh, we want to become more like Jesus Christ. He grew socially. He grew in favor with man. And we see as we read the word of God that Jesus Christ did not isolate himself from people. He did not withdraw from people. You know, he was not an individual that always sat in the corner when he walked in the room. And he was not obnoxious either. He wasn't a holier-than-thou person either. It's clear from the gospels as we read that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that Jesus loved people. And he loved being around people. And they loved him being around. You know, he, he was a servant leader. He led by serving. And, and so, and that's another thing. We want to develop more leaders here. And you see this other insert talking about equip courses starting in a few weeks on Sunday night. That's to equip us to be servant leaders. And there's different Bible studies on marriage and, and family and finances and on leadership. Jesus on leadership and ministry and Bible study. And we want to develop and equip leaders. We want you in a small group Bible. We want you in worship. Then we want you to find a small group, connect group Bible study where you get to know people. They become your family. You study the Bible together. You can ask questions. You do things together. You minister together. And then find a smaller group of three or four people where you're going through the Bible, studying it, asking questions, becoming more like Jesus, learning how to disciple others so that one day you can disciple somebody. And then we want to develop leaders, you know. And so we're offering, you see these new things starting in the next couple of weeks. But that's, we see that in Jesus. In verse 52, perfectly balanced growth. Jesus is the perfect example to follow. And what's amazing is this verse is talking about Jesus at the age of 12. He's a young teenager. That's an important lesson for us, especially for our teenagers, for our young people. And we'll encourage our young people, don't get too impatient with God. Don't get too impatient with life. I mean, even Jesus didn't run ahead of God. He waited on him. And at the age of 30, God launched him in ministry. So it's an encouragement to our young people. Just keep making sure you have the right priorities, that they're God's priorities. Make sure you submit to rightful authority in your life. And make sure you just keep growing as a person, mentally and physically and spiritually and socially. And God, in his time and in his way, will launch you into your mission. He wants you to do his mission more than you want to do his mission. So he's not playing hide and seek with you. You just stay close to God, do what God's called you to do, and you grow in these areas. God will open the door for you at the right time. So are you growing in these areas, church? Are you reading the word on a regular basis, the Bible? Are you discussing it, asking questions? Are you praying, talking to God on a regular basis, spending time with him? Are you loving your neighbor and being kind to your neighbor? Notice something here. Jesus prioritized his area of growth, right? We saw that in those four different areas. But he also, we see the place that he grew. Where was he asking questions? In the temple, at church. That's where he was learning to grow, at church. And, and look, he had people to grow. Who was he asking questions to? The religious leaders. 
leaders in our churches, they help us. Preschool children, adults, they help us grow. That's where, and, and look at the process, that he, how he learned. The Bible says he was asking questions and listening. I always say questions are good. That's how we grow. That's how we learn. And that's why it's so important to have a connect group Bible study, being part of a discipleship group, develop yourself as a leader, you know? And we do that at church, and God has blessed us with so many different lay leaders and Sunday school teachers of preschool and children and youth and adults. And he knew his purpose. His whole purpose of all of that was working for his father's business. That also shows me the, the importance of interaction between young people and older people. Here we have a 12-year-old interacting with teachers of the law, older gentlemen. We got to restore intergenerational relationships between the young and the old. I mean, the older generation can listen to the younger generation and mentor them and help them and encourage their questions and, and, even, you know, and, and even encourage their answers. Why are you feeling the way you do? How did you get there? I mean, that's how we learn and grow. And that should definitely begin at home between mom and kids and grand, I mean, and dads and grandparents and children, but it definitely should continue here at church also. This passage is more than just a captivating story about a 12-year-old Jesus and his parents. I was reading this, I'm thinking about how you and I can lose Jesus in our life. So let me share with you some personal applications of this text. And, and as we do, I wanna ask you to consider this question. Have you lost Jesus in your life? Are you looking for Jesus? You see, you can have a sense. I mean, you, you, can, you can't lose your relationship with Jesus once you become a believer. You're a child of God. I believe once saved, always saved, if you were truly saved. But you can lose a sense of fellowship with Jesus. Mary and Joseph never lost their relationship with Jesus. They were always his parents. But they lost their presence with him. When you're spiritually born again, you become a child of God. And the Bible says nobody can snatch you out of the Father's hand. So if you're truly born again, you cannot lose your relationship. But you and I know you can certainly get out of fellowship with Jesus. And as you look at this new year, we need to be honest, because that's what some of you have lost. You don't have that sense of sweet, joyous fellowship with Jesus like you once had. You don't have that passion for following him like you once had. Even though you may, have been, you may have been close to Jesus at one time, you can still lose a sense of Jesus' presence. I mean, notice the details in this story. Who lost Jesus? His parents, those closest to him, lost him. Where did they lose him? In the temple. They lost him at church. What were they doing when they lost him? They were involved in religious activity. They were, obeying the, they were obeying and observing the feast of Passover. I think even all that's important. Sometimes the very people who you would least expect to lose Jesus Christ do exactly that. You know, you do not have to drop out of church to lose fellowship with Jesus. You can attend church every single week and be very busy in religious activities at church and still get out of fellowship with Jesus. It can happen to me. I see it happen to pastors all the time. We need to re-examine our hearts today and ask ourselves, have I lost my passion and my fellowship? Have I lost my joy with Jesus? And that's one of the special things about the Lord's Supper today, too, as we remember who he is and what he did and, and, and go back to that time where he saved us. I hope you can see now that just as Mary and Joseph lost Jesus, 
You and I can too. So what do you do about it? Well, we do what Mary and Joseph did. What did they do? First thing they did, they acknowledged that they had lost him. They acknowledged that they had left him. You will never reclaim the fellowship, the closeness, the intimacy with Jesus Christ until you're honest enough to acknowledge that you lost it, that you lost it. And then you need to diligently begin to seek for him. That's what Mary and Joseph did. Verse 46, it says they searched for him for three days. After three days, that's when they found him. It's going to take time, but you've got to persist in seeking Jesus. Again, don't misunderstand me. Salvation, being spiritually born again, that's instant. You were spiritually lost. And when you ask God to forgive you of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're instantly saved. You're forgiven. You're a child of God. You're part of God's family forever. But intimacy and fellowship and closeness with Jesus, that's got to be developed. That's got to be built. Because Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I think marriage can kind of explain this a lot too. You know, when you say I do and you get legally married, you're legally married at that moment. But if you're a married couple, you know, man, that's not the end. That's just the beginning. Any relationship, if you don't work on it and develop it, it's going to drift apart. It doesn't naturally drift better. It drifts apart. And so you need to spend time with each other. Listen to each other. Do the things you used to do when you fell in love. And the same thing is true with our relationship with Christ. Once you become a Christian through faith and trust in Christ, it's not over. Now you're to live the Christian life and it's to constantly, your relationship with Jesus is constantly be developed and worked on. If not, you slowly slip away. And when you do, you must repent, turn around. That word means turn around and walk back to that sweet fellowship that you had. You got to repent. That means change direction and seek Jesus diligently and persistently. And that means more than just for a day or two. They ain't going to get it. Or a week or two. They ain't going to get it. Or if you're waiting for that feeling, man, you ain't going to get it. You ain't going to get it. Some of you just need to stop being a spectator and start being a servant again. Because when you were serving in church, that's when you had the joy and you had that closeness. You need to find that place again to serve in your church and start working. Some of you need to get back in church. This once a week or twice, I mean, this once a month or twice a month ain't going to cut it. It ain't going to cut it. And if the only Bible teaching you're getting is here on Sunday, even if you come every week, that ain't going to cut it. If I only ate once a week, I'd spiritually die. I mean, I'd, I'd physically die, be starving. Same thing true for you spiritually. You need to be feeding yourself, reading the word, praying, and then getting to where you start feeding other people. That's what discipleship all about. You got to hang in there. Don't give up. Be as persistent as Mary and Joseph did in searching for Jesus. And then the third thing is you got to return back to the place that you left him. Return back to the place that you left him. Where did Mary and Joseph finally find him? In the temple where they had left him. Now, this may be simple, so simple that you miss it. But if you want to find Jesus again, if you want that sweet fellowship and closeness with Jesus rekindled, you got to go back to where you left him. You got to go back to where you left him. Even Jesus talking to the church at Ephesus there in Revelation chapter 2, he says, you've lost your first love. You lost your first love. You've forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. For some of you, going back to where you left Jesus means it means you need to go back to where you stopped doing the Father's business. When you stopped serving the Lord and you said, I need a break. 
I need a vacation. And that vacation has become a permanent retirement. And you're not doing anything anymore. That's where some of you need to go back to find that fellowship with Jesus again. Others of you need to go back to the Father's house. Maybe some of you, you're only here because it's the first Sunday of the new year and you're no longer making fellowship, sweet fellowship with the church important. To you, it's not that important. You say you love Jesus, you just don't like the church. That's impossible. I hear that comment all the time. I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. That's impossible. If you love Jesus, you're going to love his church. The church means Christians, called out ones, followers of Christ. Jesus died for the church. The church is called the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. How can you hate, love Jesus and hate his bride and hate his body? It just don't work. Hey, I've been in church my entire life, my entire, since I was in the womb of my mom. So I know what church is like. I know what people are like. I know what I can be like. We're all mess ups. We're all broken. And don't use that for an excuse to keep you from doing what God's called you to do. Others of you, you just need to return back to the place where you got angry at the church or you got angry at God and you just dropped out. You need to go back to that time in your life where you stop being faithful to God's church and deal with that. Get counseling, talk to people, deal with that, your feelings. For others, it could be those tiny steps of sin that you started taking a long time ago. Wasn't anything major, just these little baby steps but you started opening your mind to pornography, to drinking too much, to drug abuse. It's maybe when you allowed the spirit of bitterness and anger to take hold in your heart. Maybe when you go back to where you left Jesus, where that joy left you, you, you can trace your spiritual decline to that time where you had that affair or you went through a messy divorce or you had that relationship that you knew wasn't good for you, or you took that job that influenced you to compromise your convictions, you need to go back to that place and make it right with God. And then you can find the fellowship and closeness with Jesus again. Today, Jesus is, he's waiting for some of you to return to him. And when you do, Jesus Christ is not gonna condemn you. He's not gonna criticize you. He's not gonna punish you. He's gonna embrace you with his grace He's going to welcome you with open arms. Man, he's going to enfold you with his love. He's going to shower you with his mercy. Have you lost Jesus? He's waiting for you to seek him, to find him, to, to have that fellowship again with him. Do you want to find him again? Will you admit it? Are you lost him? Will you start seeking persistently for him and diligently and doing what you need to do? 2024, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Comfort, like Simeon, comfort from sorrow and disappointment. Maybe you're looking for forgiveness like Anna, that fresh start, new beginning. Maybe you've lost your first love, that passion's gone. Like Mary and Joseph when they lost Jesus. Maybe you're looking, because you're looking to do what God's called you to do. You wanna grow spiritually in favor with God and man. You want to grow spiritually. You want to do what God's called you to do. You want to say, yes, here am I, send me. Whatever you're looking for, 2024, you want that, you look to Jesus. You look to Jesus. Will you pray with me and get our heart right as we take the Lord's Supper to remember who we look to and who he is and what he's done and there's nothing he cannot do. Their Father, we thank you that we can come together and observe the Lord's Supper that you command us to do. Help us to go back to that moment we met Christ and the feelings that we had and excitement and adventure and how life just made more sense. 
For some, it's, that's a long time ago. A lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of disappointment. But Father, you're the God of the resurrection. You're the God of the miracle. So Father, I pray you resurrect that love, that passion again that we had for you, your word, for following your son, Jesus Christ, as we come together to remember who Jesus is and what he's done and the difference he makes in our life. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.